Well, I should let me go back since the last time I talked to you. Yeah, lots so, changed since the last time I talked. To yes. You. So her uncle was doing all the work. Yes. For the most part, we were just helping him out. My main task on the farm was to bring hay bales home, brown bales home to the barn, which was you know 30, 40 hours a week during the summer, and then we just uh, helped out in the. Yeah, I, I tedded and raked the hay once it was mowed and also helped put the hay away and yeah. helped move cattle and stuff like that. And then he was complaining, her Uncle Gene was complaining of a backache for a couple of years and then uh, turned out to be uh, carcinoma. And he passed away rather quickly. Five weeks later. Five weeks later from going for a 65-year-old man going from 60 hours of work. To nothing. To nothing. Yeah. And so we were <coughs> forced to essentially <laughs> take over. We weren't ready. Well, you know? I mean, are you ever really ready? <laughs> well, plus I just had Samuel, because yes. um, Samuel was born in September, and then Gene uh, passed away in November, and then, you know, our life had already changed significantly just having a newborn, let alone, I mean, I knew how to operate things because I was always the person that Gene would typically go to and discuss, hey, thinking about doing this, what do you think? You know, he just sort of ran things by me. So I knew what was going on. So it's not like it was like completely like, oh, we just sort of just filled in. Um, I was well aware of everything that was going on and, and the land from just, it was just trying to get everything done with us working, having a newborn, both of us working 40-hour jobs and managing at the time we had 90 cattle because Jean was trying to expand the herd more um, the 177 acres that we own and then the 200 adjacent acres that we pasture and also make hay off of so it was a lot to try to sort of wrap your head around wrap, yeah yeah, yeah. logistic wise and, yeah and I know Jean went through a lot of hardship whenever my dad passed away in 09, or 08, and then my grandfather passed away in 2014. And, you know, so he, I know, had some struggles of, well, I'll just ask, you know, Jim or Wilbert. Well, I didn't, I don't have that fallback of, I don't know where that water line is. It's sort of like, well, let's hope we don't hit it. <laughs> and this is your family's farm. Yes. 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 I mean, that, but that's got to be good to know that kind of nerve-wracking too yeah because it's yours now but luckily I do have the Paul memory and also a pretty good observation skills because there's a lot of things that I was never um, formally taught how to do but just from growing around up around it and yeah. singing all the time it sort of was like osmosis exactly yeah there's a lot of times people are like how do you know how to do that and I'm like I don't know I just have seen it done a million 20 times, times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly yeah exactly but still, there's a lot of that anxiety and um, uncertainty because, you know, whenever it's just us. <laughs> yeah. But tough. things is, seem to be going fairly well. We're, we've gotten into a pretty good rhythm. Last season was a little hard because we had that crazy drought. Yeah. You know, um, this, yep. But then hit. this year we had the monsoon during the summer, so it's like, right. you know. Feast or famine. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and Farmers then, are never happy with the weather. No. <laughs> the last couple of years we've had, the last three years, all the farms in this area have had pink eye, which they, for the most part, have never had to deal with. 
and how that's happened is because of all the rain. The grass is so tall, so the grass oh, seed gets in it, your eyes. So. Yeah. yeah. So when you put them out to pasture, they're trying to eat it down, but then they're cutting their eyes, and the flies come. And we found out with just looking into doing, because we never did vaccinations, because we pretty much are naturally grown. You know, not we're not official with any of that, but. Um, we looked into the vaccinations and most of them are for dairy cattle and there's like 60 like 62 variances of pink eye and it's sort of like the flu shot for cows oh so it's like it might get some of it but not, not all, of, all it. of it yeah yeah so and we get acres usa magazine i think i mentioned that in what, three years ago yeah and uh reading in acres usa now you know now i used to skim through it because gene used to read it page to page and now you're reading it page no, to page. No, I'm not reading page to page. And, and the Lancaster Farmer. Lancaster Farmer. The wallpaper. <laughs> and the uh, solution is, well, one thing that really works is uh, kelp, seaweed. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. And you can buy it in 50-pound bags. Uh, shipping costs a lot. Uh, but this year, I put out uh, kelp in tubs, like you see out there in the pasture. Okay. And just put that out every day. And um, of all the... I think how many cows we have right now. There's 25, 35 cows, uh, adult females. Only uh, two got pink eye. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. And That's really great. Yeah. So, so you used a natural remedy that probably wasn't too terribly expensive to. No. Yeah. How, no. Yeah. I, I mean, it was, it was seventy-five dollars for a fifty-pound bag, and we've gone through four. I would like to go through. I'd like to buy eight of them. Yeah. But in the end, it's better than taking them into the barn yeah and uh you have to then keep you have them in the to barn treat them and then the then the animals that we treat we can't really yeah put back we, in the herd yeah we can't put back in the herd and plus we have to note who we treated because then and usually end up having to give them some sort of antibiotic to get over the so then we can't sell them as antibiotic free right and, exactly so there's like a there's lot a of factors <laughs> yeah there's a lot of like levels to the I don't think people truly appreciate how hard it is not to just say, oh, let's just inoculate her. Well, shouldn't it just be cheaper that way? Yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. And, I mean, that's essentially it is, you know, you would think it would be cheaper, but to do it the without doing antibiotic and all the crazy, you know, growth hormones that yeah. they're doing now and... You know, even with grain, we've gotten to the point because the, we do do the rotational grazing that our cattle are pretty much at the weight that if they were grain fed. Because okay. the grain makes them grow faster. Yeah. You know, they just bulk up a lot faster. But because of the fact that we pay attention to the prime moments to move them from field to field, they're pretty much catching up just like just they, they would, would have if been they grain were fed. Grain. Yeah. I mean, there's some animals just because they're just smaller, yeah. just like, you know, any. Any and, human. And, yeah. Some people are there's bigger like, or smaller. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and there's poor performing cattle. Cattle we don't keep. Yeah. You know, you know, they're females. We want to give them to someone else. Right. Sell them to someone else and they can. Uh, and pretty much every other farmer in the region is giving grain to their animals. To their animals, At yeah. some point, yeah. I, I would like to get to the point where we are the, you know, our primary operation business here is a cow-calf where we raise calves to sell uh, to local farmers. That's our primary business and the by the, that's probably 60% of our business and 40%, would you say? 40% is selling the beef by the cut or by the whole or quarter yeah. to customers and that's what most of us, most people around here know us as. Yeah. Uh, but 
I would like to get to us, get us to the point where we're the go-to grass-fed calf supply. Company, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for the region. For the area. I mean, everybody that eats your meat loves it. Yeah. Um, Tim, Tim loves everything he gets, and he'll get, like, liver and tongue, and, like, he just, <laughs> he'll get the stuff that people typically pass over. Right. Which is great. Which we like because those are things that we just have in our freezer randomly. Right, right. <laughs> and he's like, he went another liver. He's like, oh, yeah, I'll take the liver. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's, I mean, it's good. And I think it's a way now where people don't really know where their food comes from. Mm-hmm. It's so nice to, when we did have the co-op, uh, well, we, it wasn't a co-op, but Wholesome Harvest. Yeah. That was, like, super nice. Mm-hmm. But now they're working on a co-op, so I feel like that'll keep keep coming back which is good yeah i hope so yeah you guys are just doing beef right now uh we have raspberry canes up on the hill now also um 2014 we planted what 167 canes something like that yeah and they're the combination of spring and fall bearing berries okay so So it's two seasons yeah that's great so my goal was in 2014 I was like, I'm, I'm going to plow up the vegetables. I'm not going to focus on the vegetables anymore. And just put in one single crop. And then and I had a five-year goal. I was going to start a new job in 2014. And I'm, I was like, five years, I'm going to quit that job. I'm going to supply my income with the raspberries uh-huh. and then help Gene. So how things change. Timeline moved up a little bit. Yes, and he's... Uh, young children are mm-hmm. <laughs> expensive. They are, yeah. And, They're and small but expensive. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, well, I, I, we're still both working our day jobs. Yeah. Well, I mean, but I think it's an attainable goal to be sustainable. Because that's really the goal of everybody, right? Is to just be sustainable, do really what you like to do, walk out your back door and go to work. Right? Yeah. It's everyone's dream. Yeah. I think it's definitely attainable. So we we hear the cows. Why are are they like feisty or what's up? They Um, not in a good mood. So to uh, describe to everyone, I just we just moved them into a fencing area that is maybe half acre, and there are forty animals up there. Uh, We have twenty, twenty three cows, I think, and and twenty two cows. No, 23, because we had that other one. 23, a bull, and then... 20 calves. Yeah, 20 calves. And we lost three. We lost one to um, scours, uh, which is uncontrolled diarrhea and and cattle in the spring. Uh, We lost one to a coyote, we think. And maybe one to a bear. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, that happens, though. Yeah. Yes. It's a pretty good average, though. Just three? Yeah. 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 Yeah, the average for most uh, cow-calf producers is 10%. Well, then you're good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, you're well within the normal limit. Yeah. If you, and uh, so they're on a half-acre lot. And they're a little upset about it because they've gone from a five-acre lot plot paddock or paddocks. Yeah. Five-acre paddock down to a half-acre paddock. And, and they're uh, just a little bit more vocal about it. Yes. And the goal here is two things. Uh, they are condensed as in, uh, as if they were in the natural environment. They're condensed, and they are eating every blade of every plant that they're coming across. 
and the other goal, that's the main goal, to have a uniform grazing. And the, and the second, more important goal, really, is uh, that they are going to produce uh, manure, and it is going to be in a more uniform spread over that area. Good. And it's yeah. called a mob graze because it's a mob of cattle in a small area. Wow, oh, nice. Now, uh, in the spring, we do about that type of stocking rate, that many number of animals and that amount of area. So they don't overeat? Is that like overeat the land? Correct. We okay. don't want them to overgraze. We put yeah. them, ideally, the ideal, mm-hmm. in the ideal world, it's 16 inches of grass height. That's when you put them on and you take them off at six inches high. Do you have a yardstick or can you eye it? There's point? actually a special stick, I forget what the name of it is, that you actually have that you can take out to pasture and and also has levels of certain grasses of the optimum uh, rate of um, nutrients and all that. So, yeah. Do you have one of these said sticks? We yes, do. we nice. do. Nice. Cool. Yeah. We'll pull it most, out. Yeah, actually, most picture. farms don't have them anymore because they will take them out as they're moving cows, and a cow will get unruly, and they'll use it to, like, sort of swat them back so they're split to pieces. So uh, our um, <laughs> local yeah, our local soil <laughs> conservation district was like, wow, you still have one of those? <laughs> We're like, we don't take it out to move cows. <laughs> we take it out to measure the grass. The yeah. grass doesn't get unruly. Yeah. <laughs> and if it does, that means they need to graze. Yeah. Uh, and then if you're looking at these cows, some of them are much, if you're looking at the mamas, you can see some mm-hmm. of them are much smaller than the others. And that's because we're incorporating New Zealand bloodlines okay. into our herd. Which is a smaller Angus breed. Okay. The smaller the animal, the more efficient they're going to be on grass. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, lean, lean and mean, right? Yes. And unfortunately, some of our customers... Uh, that buy the calves want a bigger animal. Um, yeah. And that's another reason for mentioning trying to become, you know, the more grass shop. beef. Yeah, yeah. And just to get that kind of style of cattle. Yeah. Plus, it, it would make it a little bit easier to manage a smaller sized herd. Right? Oh. I mean, like moving yes. as far as that goes. And as long as their uh, mood, um, a common <laughs> mood. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You know, some our neighbor who grew up on a dairy farm said Angus is the closest thing you get to a wild animal or a tamed wild animal. <laughs> a tamed wild animal, yeah. And there are other breeds that other beef farmers have that are much calmer. And the way you get around that, you know, they'll come to you by bucket or they'll come to you by name. And the way to get around that is to with Angus animals is to move them frequently. Yeah. So we uh, we move them. Um, well, during the summer, once hay season starts, we move them every five days. Because of, of the rate of the growth of Correct. the grass. Yeah. Uh, and to tackle pink eye, we should be doing it more often. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, we, what we should do is when, because the last three years, four years, we've had our hay fields and our pasture. And, and Mount Savage has the best grassland in the county, it, it's, according to... Soil conservation. I mean, I really think if if you're not used to topography here, it is very much like um, bottom of the Alps in Switzerland. Hmm. Okay, I get that. Because, I mean, it's sort of like really grassy, very rolling hill, and then, you know, you've got some extreme mountains in the distance. distance. But, I mean, I think it... That, I mean, that's how they they do the Alpen graze, just from one point to the next. 
And that's yeah. how they get the different flavors of cheese and all that other kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just gorgeous. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, how would you not want to do this full time? Well, we uh, found out through, uh, the farm is preserved. Her grandfather preserved it in, what year was that, honey? 87, 88, something like that. Yeah, that's when it was transferred over to the... And it was the first farm in the county to be ag preserved. That's nice. How yeah. old is the farm? one of the earliest ones in the state, too. Um, the, since my grandfather bought it, how old the farm is? Or? So just uh, how long has it just been a farm? Uh, it's been a farm since the seventeen late 1700s, whenever... This is part of the original um, Arnold settlement for Mount Savage. Okay. Um, the family who settled here along with the Arnold settlement was the Mattingly family, which built the house that we live in now. And then the log cabin that's next to the house... We have a document that a traveling priest came here in 1785 to John Mattingly's cabin, so we know the cabin was at least here. 17? Yeah, 1785-ish. That's so. crazy. Yeah, so it's it's been a farm since then. My grandfather bought it off a descendant of a Mattingly in 1939, and my family's been farming since. And it was dairy, and now you're doing... Yes. So it's always been cow-related. Yes, he's our, he started a, the dairy whenever he started farming. When he bought it... Um, there was actually 183 acres, but there was like a land swap with a neighbor, and we ended up with 177 because he didn't think he needed that much land at the time. <laughs> um, all this area um, to, let's see, I guess our right, if mm -hmm. you want to call it, that used to be uh, an orchard area, but as the years went on, um, a lot of the trees died out. There's uh, four pear trees left. I see, and they've got a lot of pears on them. Yeah. <laughs> We're and, trying to, to sort of... Yeah. Put some fruit trees in again. Like up on the top of the hill, we have uh, a new apple tree, and we've tried a couple other um, cherry trees in that, but they just haven't made it between the deer yeah, eating, annihilating it, frost. yeah, and late frost. Mm -hmm. um, but we're slowly trying to get things back. But um, and then my grandfather put in the pond that the the cattle are around right now in um, the fifties. That's a, that supplies the barn with the water. Yeah, and he was one of the first members of the Soil Conservation District right after it was established by the Department of Ag after the Dust Bowl. Okay, yeah. and he's the longest-running board member um, for Soil Conservation District in the state of Maryland because he was a board member until he was like 95. Nice. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Uh, Hugh Bennett. Uh, if you ever read that Timothy Egan book, uh, I can't remember what it was called. It was about the Dust Bowl. Uh -huh. It talks about Hugh, Hugh Bennett a lot. He was the father of the Solar Conservation Service. <clears throat> well, him and his right-hand man, his deputy, came to Mount Savage. Well, they actually came to Allegheny County altogether. <clears throat> yeah, and some, and some cows... Ball more than others. Uh -huh. <laughs> and I will have to note, they are balling with grass in their mouth. <laughs> yes. Yes, yes, girls. Okay. We might have to move. But anyway, so Hugh Bennett and his uh, guy came uh, to Mount Savage in Allegheny County, and that's what, uh, after talking to him, came to the farm here. That's what convince her grandfather to get into soil conservation practices 
And it, it's so amazing. Back then, you know, we're on a steep, we're on like a rounded hill. Yeah. Uh, for your listeners. And he started plowing to the contour of the farm, of to the land. So he's essentially, you know, farming with a curve. Right. To minimize soil erosion. Yeah. And which is standard practice today. But he was revolutionary. Revol- he was the first one in the Middle East region to do it. And all the old farmers around him thought he was nuts, he said. <laughs> this is one day. <laughs> this will be the standard. Yeah. And now we've given up the plow. Yeah. We don't use the plow at all anymore. Right. Uh, we use it in a garden, but... Um, but oh. not, not on the scale that he was doing. Was it mainly... <clears throat> so he did agricultural and... Yes, cows. Yeah, when we were a dairy farm, we uh, did, of course, hay. And then we also planted our own corn at the time. And um, But we were still very grass-fed based, unlike a lot of dairy farms where they would... We were uh, still fairly grass-fed based. Um, in the summertime, we would still take um, the cattle out and graze a lot of the areas that's already pasture. And also, once we... Um, would make the hay we'd also pasture that off in the fall where a lot of farms they were just strictly focused on grain 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 where right. we would do both yeah we would the grain was just a supplement not the major source. source and we had at one point we had three silos we only have the two now because we had the one taken down we had that full of um, silage from cutting grass and fermenting it and so we fed that and through the winter plus the hay and <laughs> to keep the protein levels up to produce milk. Yeah. yeah back in the 70s, uh, the ag industry started keeping their cows. They decided they're going to start keeping the cows in barns mm-hmm. and bring all the feed stuff to them. To them. Right. And uh, we know farmers that do that still. They don't, they have cows that don't see the light of day mm-hmm. or they do see the light of the day through the barn the barn the barn slats right uh but and then they consider doing that uh, i remember her dad her late father telling me that they thought about doing it they went to see a farm and the farm was a muddy mess mm-hmm. and they were like no way are we going to do that so yeah they, they kept with the grazing oh i'm glad they did because makes for a beautiful farm it happy does. cows yeah and after Gene passed away, I, I went to two different conferences, tried to get some ideas of really what the heck I was supposed to be doing. <laughs> right, right. Some guidance. Did you find that like, they were helpful, like all their farmers? Well, I went to the Acres USA because it was in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have a conference every year Acres USA does. And usually it's out in the Midwest, and this time it was in Pittsburgh. So I went. And it was actually... Um, I didn't learn that much, but what I did learn was the names of the speakers. Okay. And then I just went on YouTube and found their videos. And did you find that you already knew a lot of the stuff? No. 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 Okay. No. Well, I mean, I knew what you know, Gene taught us and all that. Yeah. Um, mob grazing. I didn't know anything about mob grazing. You know, uh, I was working out at a gym at work. You know, three, four, five days a week, you know, coming home. And you know, I remember one day I was helping Gene, and uh, we were tossing old pieces of wood, and they were in the way in the, in the forest, out of the way for the road. 
And he said, this is some workout, isn't it? And I kind of like snickered to myself. And then, well, after Gene passed away, <laughs> you know, I was, I couldn't lose any weight in the gym, no matter how much I went to the gym. Oh, I lost 30 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> Just being on the farm. Yeah. So, it's, a constant, it's constant work. I don't think people truly appreciate what it's like to work on a farm unless you do it. Right. They and have it, these rose-colored glasses of, oh, it's just, you move the cows. And, right. You know, it's all just great and lovely, which it is lovely, but there's a lot of hard work, and it takes a certain type of person to be able to do it because if you're not willing to work. It's not going to work and, out for you. Yeah. Then there's a lot of people that, you know, get these farmettes, and they think it's great, and then they're like, what am I doing? Well, they because, don't realize how hard it is. And yeah. it's not like a week, like you go to like a B&B with some, a few cows and some goats and stuff. Right. And you think, oh, how glamorous. But they're not, it's it's not about, it's not just having a cow. It's a business. And yeah. it's, you know, a family legacy. And yeah. you know, an upkeep of the land and yeah. the preservation of it and the stewardship oh. of everything. Absolutely. It's, yeah. It's a lot and, of pressure. And so many people with where we work, they don't understand because the whole agriculture mindset is being lost in society mm -hmm. where you know we're like we can't do that the cows got out we have to you know go handle that and they just sort of look at us like we have three heads and it's like and then and I hate to to classify it as the same but they're like oh my kid was sick over the weekend and we're like we have 90 kids yeah. plus a two-year-old. <laughs> you know, we don't have to care for them all the time, but we have to make sure they're healthy, make sure that they attention. have water. Yeah, it's and just, you know, the upkeep of the fences because, you know, you have deer running through them mm -hmm. and making sure, you know, keeping wow. just keeping count, you know, with the coyotes and the bear now. Right. I mean, to get that out of it. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a reason why. If you walk into southern states, the first thing you see are bags of ginger chews. And that's because, you know, I was talking to the person that handles product placement in southern states. And she said, well, all of you farmers are stressed all the time. I figured I'd offer ginger chews. That's Help really your stomach. That's great. Yeah. That's awesome. And it's very true. Yeah, we have a lot of uh, families that have bought off of us with our beef. And their kids won't eat any other meat now. And I sort of feel bad for them because, I mean, it's good for us. But I feel bad that, you know, they're just even just trying to, like, buy, you know, the grass-fed beef that's at, you know, whatever market. And the kids are like, that's disgusting. And I'm just sort of like, I'm sorry I spoiled you. Well, it's good <laughs> in a way, too, because then they'll say, okay, well, you know, this is a special thing. You yeah. know what I mean? And I think people eat eat meat a little bit too um, easily. Yeah. So, I mean, it does really kind of put the right amount of respect. Right. With the associated And, and you know, I, I understand the whole idea, too, of people that are vegetarians. The mindset of, they, of the animal's life is important to them and everything. But I will say the way that we actually raise our animals, yes, we are raising them as a product but we raise them to make sure that they're healthy that they're fed well that they're treated well the butcher that we actually use is even a humane kill butcher, butcher. Mm -hmm. so it's not like you know food ink where they're going in getting you know prodded and everything yeah. else plus the fact just for grass-fed 
you we can't take our animal to a butcher that's like that because if the animal's stressed at all right before it's actually butchered the meat will get so tough you won't be able to eat it it. yeah because it's grass-fed is so close to being like you know deer or elk or whatever that's the same idea i mean any hunter that knows that if you have an animal that's stressed out or whatever whenever you shoot it it's (laughs) going to be tough and not you're gonna not gonna be able to eat it it. yeah yeah exactly so it's it's a major difference 